Hi, I'm Nicole Goodman, co-host of Podcasting Essentials, and you're listening to the Summer Series, the best episodes of 2020. So let's head back to episode 17, when Lucy Briggs, head of marketing at Magellan Asset Management, explained why they decided to do a podcast. Sound Cartel. In this episode, we go client-side with Magellan Asset Management's Head of Marketing, Lucy Briggs, who explains her journey to branded podcast success. One thing I will say is you've done all the heavy lifting. You've actually enabled me to think about the podcast far more strategically and not worry about the delivery and execution of it. I can start to figure out, right, who do we want on the show next? Who can we get on the show next? What kind of topics should we build? And I've actually now got an eight-month forward-looking plan. So it's been a huge weight off my mind because I'm not the most technical person out there. From Sound Cartel, I'm Nick Schuldberger, and this is Podcasting Essentials. Welcome to Episode 17 of Season 4. And joining me once more is producer and co-host Nicole Goodman. Hey, Nick. Great to be back in the chair again. Now, something a little different this episode. We'll hear directly from a brand that is seeing fantastic results from their own podcast. Yeah, look, Nick, we can wax lyrical all we like about the joys and benefits of podcasting, but hearing straight from the marketing managers is the real social proof for brands that are still considering if podcasting is the right medium for them. That's right. So let's get to introducing Lucy Briggs. She's the head of marketing for Magellan Asset Management. Lucy has had 20 years experience in financial PR and communications and is now the head of marketing at Magellan, which manages a little over $100 billion in global equity and infrastructure strategies for clients based all over the world. Magellan was co-founded in 2006 by Hamish Douglas, whose highly successful career has included being a member of the Australian Government's Foreign Investment Review Board and co-head of global banking at Deutsche Bank, Australasia. Importantly, though, Hamish plays an integral role in Magellan's podcast, In The Know, and we're delighted to be able to discuss this in more detail with Lucy. Welcome, Lucy, to Podcasting Essentials. Hi there. It's very nice of you to have me on the show. Thank you. Now, Magellan is a well-established brand in the generally conservative finance industry. What kinds of marketing have you traditionally done and what tends to work best? Well, I suppose I'd start by giving a bit of context on the business itself and the industry that it sits in. In terms of competitors and the sort of peers out there, people like AMP Capital, Perpetual, you know, brands that are well known here, other businesses such as Schroeder's, BlackRock, Fidelity, those that are big overseas as well. They've been around for a very, very long time. Magellan is actually relatively new in that kind of channel. We've only founded in 2006. So if you like, some people sort of still think of us as a startup, but we aren't really. I mean, we've uh, proven above and beyond that we're more than that and have been around and really changed the industry in many ways. I've always approached the marketing that we do in the sense that we're not a conventional asset management company. The people that founded us came out of investment banking. They've come out of all different facets of the financial services industry. And when I started and when I was sort of given the role of marketing initially and then sort of was able to build a team around me, I was told that they really did not want anything that was conventional. We wanted a really unconventional approach to marketing, something that would work Taking kind of the audience first, not here we are, we need to promote ourselves. But if we're looking at the audience, what do they actually want to hear from us? What do they actually need to know about us? 
And as a result of that, we've always done things a bit differently. So when you say what kinds of marketing traditionally work, I don't think there's a great deal of tradition to it. Other fund managers in the industry will go through the usual gambit of digital marketing, advertising, TV ads, radio ads, lots of small events, big events, videos. Now, we do do some of that, obviously. But we started out and certainly the first, say, 10 years of our being, we didn't do any advertising at all. Not one, not a single ad, digital, print, you name it, zero. We had no creative, no ad suite, no ad agency. Now, to most of my peers out there in the industry, they're sort of shaking their heads going, well, how can you possibly grow? How do people know your brand? And we actually opted instead for really the content piece and the thought leadership piece. So we went very, very hard on editorial worked very hard on the PR strategy and really built Hamish as a mini brand within a brand himself. You know, if you follow investing in Australia, if you're interested in the stock market, if you're interested in managed funds or investing, the name Hamish Douglas is certainly one that pops up. If you search him now in Google, you'll be there till next Christmas reading about him. There's that much coverage. And that was really something that we pushed hard was get him to be a voice of truth in the industry, get him to be a leadership voice. And something that challenges what people were thinking about in this industry as well. And as a result of that, the sort of genesis of this club, if you like, of people that were part of the Magellan Club that invested in Magellan, they felt special, then they would spread the word and we got a bit of a viral effect happening. And we've taken that sort of foundation and really built on that over the last sort of 10 to 15 years, really. So other types of marketing I would say we do do really well on and we research this and get market research to get results is that our events are in-person events really blow things out of the water. I mean, I worked for a US fund manager for a number of years here before I joined Magellan. We would be happy to get maybe 500 people in a room at an event. Our last event was in March. We had 12,000. So you can see the difference in that viral sense, that sense of being part of a club and people almost being proud that they invest with Magellan, that they found this wonderful business Sadly, of course, COVID has killed the opportunity for us to do big events like that. But we do believe we can hit pretty hard on online. We had a a webinar the other day with Hamish that had 6,000 active attendees. That's not an insignificant amount of people. So I would say one thing that we do really do well from a marketing sense is making the audience feel that we're with them. We're not just trying to splash money around and do big advertising and show off and promote. We're trying to give them what they actually want and what they actually want to hear and see. So not being able to do live events in 2020, was that the main reason behind the podcast or were there other reasons that you started the podcast? Look, I would say there were a number of other reasons. It had been on the radar and horizon for a while. It was something we debated quite extensively about six to eight months ago when COVID started. But again, it goes back to like, we're not just going to do it to tick a box. Not just going to do it because everyone else is doing it and because we want to say, hey guys, we have also got a podcast. The only reason we would do any kind of marketing is if we think it's valuable to the listener and it's actually going to get real traction and isn't going to kill the kind of attributes of the brand as well. I've always wanted this brand to feel aspirational, that if people find it, as I said, and they're part of that club, that they feel a sense of pride because then they're loyal to the brand. And if we stay true to our attributes, whether it's in investing or whether it's in the way we market what we're doing, it was important to me not to go down the podcast route until I was absolutely happy that it would hit all those things that we want the brand to be known for. But you're not wrong that COVID has made it hard for everybody to reach their audience and reach new audiences. And the podcast has definitely blown me away in terms of how quickly we have been able to reach new audiences and get engagement and really give people a bit of an insight to what goes on behind closed doors at Magellan in a way. The conversations we do have with global CEOs, the conversations we do have with our consultants and things like that. So 
yeah, I think COVID's pushed us on to do it perhaps more quickly than we would. So Lucy, what sort of research and planning went into the strategy behind the podcast? (laughs) I'd love to give you an answer that we spent many months toiling over the strategy and stress testing ideas, but in actual fact, It was something we had debated a lot, as I've mentioned. The decision to go was fairly instant. I'm not saying knee-jerk because we did have enough research behind to know it would work. But the decision to do it was kind of like, right, we're just going to do it. And we need to find someone to help us. And FYI, it's going to be in two weeks' time. Because we have this body of great consultants that work with Magellan, people all around the world that help us make sense of the investment landscape, geopolitical issues, really peel back that onion and say, okay, this is the noise. Do we need to listen to any of this? What's actually going to help us? And, you know, we share our insights with those people as well. It's very much a two-way street. And I think we realised we were sitting on a bit of a gold mine, and people were looking for information. They were looking for answers earlier this year. And it became quite quickly apparent that maybe we should do this. Maybe we actually are helping people, are helping our clients and our investors and our advisors. So the decision to actually go into it and hit go, I suppose, was part of the research and the planning, but I wouldn't say it was a perfectly planned day to launch it. We decided to hit go and I rang you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the great thing about podcasting is that you can just up and go fairly quickly. So as a comms medium, it works perfectly in that respect. Yeah, it's very nimble. As you know, we've connected with the likes of Janet Yellen, although she's not been on the podcast yet, but she will in the new year. And uh, Michael Morell, who was the deputy head of the CIA. Maybe we'll see him in the CIA again. Who knows? One now that Biden's in, it's definitely one to watch. But we were able to connect with these people in the US, have these wonderful conversations. And it was so easy to do through the podcast platform. In the haste to launch the podcast, were there any goals that you set at the outset for it? I think, to be honest, given it was a new medium for us and looking at the people that are really top of their game in this space, particularly in the business channels or in the investing vertical, it was very difficult to sort of say, oh, well, we're going to want 10,000 people or whatever it is to try and bump these people off the top spots. We knew that we had a very engaged investor base already. You know, we've got some 120,000 investors who are already part of Magellan's network, who already have money either in our funds or as a shareholder. And Nick, I think bizarrely, when I contacted you, it turned out that you were actually one of them by complete coincidence. So there you go. But we knew we had a fairly engaged base. So I knew that by pushing this out, we would get a fairly decent chunk of those people actually starting to listen to it. And one of the things we've always encouraged our investors, our our intermediary audience, so that's the advisors and the stockbrokers to do is, if you like this information, share it, bring people into the club with you, because word of mouth marketing is the most powerful. You know, a recommendation from a friend and a win over every time. So we kind of went with that route a little bit with that strategy a bit. Goals, I, I never put big numbers around things. It might shock you to know that a company is successful as Magellan. None of us have any KPIs. I have no marketing KPIs. The sales guys have no sales KPIs. We just all row in the same boat. We all have the end goal. I don't know entirely the reason behind the no KPIs because I wasn't here when the business started in 2006, but I believe they didn't want people to feel hindered. And they also didn't want people to feel that it was more important to make the numbers than to actually help the clients and help the audience. So that's always been the credo of the business from day one. So I didn't say, guys, we've got to have 10,000 listens. I said, let's just get out there. Let's make sure people love what we're doing and just iterate, get feedback from the audience. And we've had quite a bit. 
from investors and advisors and brokers are saying, I love this. I'm so glad that you're doing this. Could you bring us more of X, Y, Z? So we'd like to think it's a collaborative process with our audience. And how did you settle on the name In The Know? Oh, God, this this is a good one. <laughs> so we, I can't tell you how many times we agonised over what to call this. And it seems such a simple thing. It's just come up with a name. It's a bit of a play on words. It might make people laugh a bit or something like that. So we've gone down the route of trying to find a sort of clever term or a punchy name. And I looked at all our competitors and they were very sort of vanilla. They were very, you know, investing in essentials and investment insights. I'm like, well, that's been done to death. And, and frankly, we call a lot of our written stuff investment insights. So we wanted something different. And for quite a while, our chairman, um, Hamish, wanted to call it Deep Impact. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea because it's a terrible sci-fi movie from the sort of mid-2000s. <laughs> I don't think we want that to be this, uh, the case. So we canned a few ideas. We had some shockers that came through from people in the company. And at the end of the day, we are settled on something that perhaps it is a bit vanilla, perhaps it is a bit generic, but it really goes to the heart of the fact that Magellan literally deep dives as far as it can into getting the information, the insights before we make any kind of investment decision. I would say we are in the know on a hell of a lot of stuff. We go that extra mile. We have a saying in the business that when we invest, we invest inch wide, but mile deep. So we don't have this massive blanket coverage of every company, every sector, every stock in the world. What we do is quite targeted. We have incredibly tight filters. And then when we hone in on something, we literally go as far as is possible to go on finding out about these businesses. So I think in the no felt quite fitting, even though it's not the sexy play on words I was hoping for. But yeah, that's where the name came from. Yeah, we like a short name and one that's not too complicated. So you've ticked boxes for what we like to recommend. Now you decided to seek a production partner quite close to the launch of the podcast and we're delighted to be that partner, Mm. albeit we would have preferred a little bit more warning. (laughs) What support were you looking for that you weren't able to do in-house? Look, I'm not going to try and lie here or pretend that we were experts in podcasting and my team, we weren't. I mean, I've got a, a really a very small team given the volume of work that we produce and the amount of responsibility that we have on behalf of the business, the brand. And we also look after another couple of other brands within the business as well. We knew there were certainly two of us in the marketing team that knew enough about how to set up a podcast, getting listed, how long it might take. But I think as I delved into it a bit more, I realised you just don't know what you don't know. And that we could have set ourselves up to kind of stumble through the first few episodes. And I think you've got to hit the ground running. You've got to have something that grabs the attention episode one and just try and keep those listeners really sticky and make them come back and not have any reason to not connect next time. So the audio quality was obviously really important. It was about two weeks out, I think, Nick. I can't remember. (laughs) I didn't give you a lot of time, but... I literally went onto Google and I was like, podcast agency, please help. And you guys just seemed to have everything I needed and everything I wanted. And, and I also loved your brand and your website. So that's why I picked you guys. So it was a complete cold call, but I'm delighted I made it. Very, very delighted I made it. And so are we. We're enjoying working with yeah. you. <laughs> and on that note, Lucy, how are you finding collaborating with an audio agency? Granted, it's us, but how have you found that process? Look, honestly, really seamless. And I know that you're sitting there listening to me say this. I'm certainly not trying to blow smoke up or anything like that. But one thing I will say is you've done all the heavy lifting. You've actually enabled me to think about the podcast far more strategically and not worry about the delivery and execution of it. I can start to figure out, right, who do we want on the show next? Who can we get on the show next? What kind of topics should we build? And I've actually now got an eight-month forward-looking plan. So we've got a lot of speakers lined up over the next eight months 
bringing things that we don't think have been brought to Australia, certainly before. So it has allowed us to really think about the reasons why we're doing this. And again, going back to really meeting the needs of the audience. So it's been a huge weight off my mind because I'm not the most technical person out there. So yeah, really delighted. That's great. I'm looking forward to the speakers that you've got coming soon. Now, your podcast has been out for a few months. How's it going? Are you happy? Can you share any stats or feedback with us? Yes. Again, it's very hard to know how do you benchmark yourself? What does success look like? I think we have to ask ourselves whenever we do anything, what does success look like for us? What are we trying to solve here? You could say success isn't just the numbers. You could say success is, look, 100 people that listened, loved it, have recommended it, are completely committed to being there every month and listening. So that I look at success in many different ways. I think it has been successful. We've had some fantastic feedback from people, emailing, writing, all that kind of stuff to say, thank you for finally doing this. Then you look at the numbers and the numbers actually blew us away. I mean, we've had over 10,000 downloads with episode one. We barely kind of got off the starting blocks and people were kind of listening instantly. And it's been really lovely to see the ratings on Apple and people's feedback on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and those kind of things. So yes, it's absolutely, I think it has been successful. And I think we're pretty, like I said, amazed, frankly, that we've had so much traction so quickly. I know that the charts for these podcasts move around a lot, but there was at one point when we were sort of number two in the investing chart, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. And I think we made number six on the business chart as well. So up there with some of the really big names that have been around for a long time and have hundreds of thousands of listeners. So for a little one, a little startup, a podcast like us, we felt really quite pleased that we obviously had got the recipe right and we can continue to grow this space. So Lucy, how are you promoting the podcast? That's probably where we get a bit more conventional. Initially, we knew that we had this base of about 120,000 investors. So we knew that they wanted it. We knew that they would probably listen. So we did do a bit of standard email campaigns and things to them. We popped it on the app. We used social media for it. It's on the website. That's kind of fairly generic approach to it. And it certainly has worked and has grown it. A few other things that we've done are just making sure that if any of our key investment people are interviewed, that they mention it. The people who we interview, if they're ever getting a chance to mention it themselves, to say, oh, I was interviewed by this great podcast, you guys should listen. So just that word of mouth verification as well. And I've also been speaking to the media, so a bit of PR around it, saying, guys, take a listen, let me know if you want any further information. And it has certainly helped and will continue to help. So nothing too radical or too different, but just basically applying the same rules and guidelines around the rest of our marketing for the podcast also. But a lot of it's a learning curve. There may be ways that we start to come across, and you guys have been incredibly helpful on that as well. You know, it is a slightly new area for us. It is a bit of a learning curve still. Well, you've started very well. There's no doubt about that. That's it. And there's a lot to be said for brand consolidation and surprising and delighting your current audience, but also when a new audience comes to in the know, giving them something that they may not expect is just a wonderful surprise. Yeah. And I think you said earlier, what were the goals? I think it wasn't sort of an official goal, but I always feel like you don't have to just have money in the stock market or be someone that's really involved in what your super's doing or be all across managed funds to listen to our podcast. It's actually much more wide reaching than that. You know, the stories and interviews that we're hoping to bring you shouldn't just be for those people that are already interested in this area. 
there's no reason why your mum and dad couldn't listen to it and actually learn something and think, God, I've never thought about how big companies run themselves or the challenges that they face. We interviewed last couple of episodes ago the global CEO of Starbucks. You know, you, you happily walk past a Starbucks, maybe you might grab a coffee. I'm not sure their coffee's considered very good in Australia, <laughs> but the rest of the world, they love Starbucks. You might walk past it and not give it two thoughts, but actually having listened to the CEO and about the way he runs that business, the way he feels and thinks about his hundreds of staff, you know, thousands of staff around the world, it's got much more of a human element to it. And it kind of makes you feel like it's worth actually stopping and taking a look at these brands sometimes. So the one thing I would say probably is a wider goal longer term is to bring people into our world that maybe never would be before, sharing some of what we know with them. As you've described, each episode is made very relevant and accessible to the audience. It's not just number crunching. And in large part, that is to do with your guest selection. You have an incredible guest list, including, as you've mentioned, the ex-deputy director of the CIA, Michael Morell, and the Starbucks CEO, Kevin Johnson. How did you go about securing these big names? Well, it was a fairly easy process, to be honest. We're not sort of in the business of rent-a-speaker. We thought that would be very inauthentic and we wanted it to be people that have a genuine working connection with our business. The people actually know a bit about our business, understand what we do, understand who our audience is. So for the most part, the businesses such as Starbucks or Reckitt Benkiza, who we interviewed on episode three, these are companies that we are significant shareholders in, that we invest because we believe they are some of the world's very best businesses. And we wanted to sort of say to them, we invest in you, we understand your business, we wouldn't be there if we didn't. But we get access to incredible insights from a lot of these senior management. And we really wanted to open that up to people around the world, like Reckitt Benkiza, you know, they make Strepsils, Dettol, Vanish, all these brands that are in your house. But what do you know about the business behind them? What do you know about the guy who heads it up? and how he thinks about it and growing the business and changing things. So it does have an immediate knock-on effect. So I think when we were putting the guest list together, we had hundreds of companies we could have picked from, but we really wanted ones that were potentially in people's peripheral vision or in their home, brands that they knew. One potential speaker that I'm hoping to secure for next year is the CEO of Microsoft. Hamish gets an interview with a lot of these people anyway as a big investor. So we just thought, well, why not let those in the Magellan Club and beyond be a part of the same conversation? But with the likes of Michael Morell, who you've mentioned, and Janet Yellen, who was the former head of the Federal Reserve in the US, they are actually consultants to the business. So we actually get their ear, we get their expertise, we get their thoughts several times a year about all sorts of things that are going on. So you can imagine right now the phone line has been running hot around the US election and there's been some fascinating discussions going on about what's really going on inside the White House and what's really going on inside US politics and what happens next. So I'm very hopeful that in the new year we can share some of those insights with you all. That is so exciting, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, this makes my life feel very dull. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Now, final question, Lucy. For other brands, particularly more traditional ones, thinking about doing a podcast, what would you recommend they do first? I've mentioned this a few times. Don't just do it to tick a box. Don't just do it to say, hey, guys, we've got a podcast. Awesome. Done. Next. It's got to have longevity. Don't do it if you don't think you can commit time to it. Don't do it if you think that the standard of what you're doing might slip over time, because to me, a podcast is one of the most personal and potentially emotional ways that you can connect with your audience because you're in their ear, you're in their head. There's no one else in the room with them as they're listening. It's just you and them. So it kind of feels like a personal phone call almost. I certainly know myself when I listen to podcasts, you know, I almost feel like I know them. I feel like I know these people, even though 
bump into them in the street, they'd be like, who are you? You weird stalker. <laughs> I feel like it's that emotional connection. If you're going to do it, you've got to do it to the very best of your ability and don't just have speakers on because you're like, I've got to fill a slot this week. Make sure that it's the right speaker for your audience at that time and try and integrate it into your greater marketing strategy. This is another way of amplifying the brilliance of certain businesses. So make sure it's a part of that and not just a box ticking exercise. Well, you're off to a flying start. Uh, You've done very well and we're very much looking forward to working with you on future episodes and I'm also looking forward to listening to future episodes. So, (laughs) Absolutely. Well done and thank you so much for joining us today on Podcasting Essentials. Congratulations, Lucy. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you and thank you so much for all your support. Couldn't be done without you guys, so much appreciated. So, Nicole, the success of In The Know comes down to three key things for me. The first is the high-quality guests that are truly interesting and entertaining. Yes, such a crucial mix, Nick. And when you have access to such high-profile guests who in many cases are advising the business, of course you've got to put a mic in front of them. The second point is Hamish Douglas. Well, he knows the right questions to ask these guests because he completely understands the topics. I mean, he's a genius. Mm and also what will be interesting to his audience. Simply, this comes down to relationships and having an intimate knowledge of your own business as well as theirs, and Hamish has that in spades. And then finally, and very importantly, Lucy and her marketing team understand the Magellan audience through years of content marketing, and with this podcast, have done a terrific job of promoting it. They really have everything we've spoken about regarding best practice podcast marketing, they're doing. They've got their website sorted, their social and digital marketing is on point. They've even created newsletters dedicated to each episode. They're also a team that obviously believe in the medium and they're committed to getting the best out of each episode. That is absolutely obvious. And of course, we're producing it at the very highest audio quality. (laughs) Of course, absolutely. But don't take our word for it. Go have a listen yourselves at magellangroup.com.au slash podcast. But that's all we have time for on this episode of Podcasting Essentials. Thanks, Nicole, for joining me as always. My pleasure, Nick. Thanks for having me. To find out more about how we can help you create a podcast, check out our website at soundcartel.com.au or on the socials at soundcartel.au. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're after business insights and inspiration each morning, check out our daily podcast, Business Essentials Daily, wherever you're listening right now. From all of us at Sound Cartel, thanks so much for listening. Sound Cartel.